No, that's all right. Well, that's all right. That's, 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 that's how the podcast starts. Welcome yeah. to it. Appetite for Distortion, episode 260. Well, you could tell right away if you're watching on Zoom of who's on the show, but uh, podcast, you should recognize the, the first voice that chimed in there. You'll see if you get the notifications off. Doug Goldstein, you're a popular guy. I think that's why, you know. Or yeah, yeah. the email notifications, or, or, or what are they? Are they just like angry... Like I said, I just pull up notifications and I turned off messages and mail, so I don't know what the heck is. They're not. They're not texts from Axel to tell you to stop talking nice about him. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Stop (laughs) saying nice things. Because that happened. And also uh, with us, because thank you, Doug, for coming back on. Obviously, you're you're a friend of the show. If you don't know Doug, former Guns N' Roses manager, former head of security for Air Supply. (laughs) (laughs) So many. Well, more we learned about Doug, more and more about Doug each time he's on. But this time, he's my co-host, and I'm so grateful that he brought Ace. I'm not, excuse me, I should have asked how you pronounce your last name before. Is it Piva or Piva? Uh, Piva. Piva. Ace Piva. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll, I'll answer to both, but Piva's the right way. <laughs> I, I, I want to make sure I say it the right way because I'm you're north of the border or our border here because we're here, heard everywhere around the world. But you're in, you said Toronto right now? Yeah, yeah, just outside of Toronto. And uh, Hamilton, Hamilton, Ontario, uh, known for our steel, and uh, we want to be known for our music. So, but we're working on that. So. Okay, I didn't know if it was like French Canadian Ace Pivon or something like that. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, I, I, I failed French. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't have a second language. <laughs> you guys are known for steel. My dad were, were uh, my dad and mom were in the iron and steel business my whole life. Oh wow! Very cool. My mom did the ironing. My dad did the stealing. Oh. <laughs> Hi, uh, if I normally I would have a soundboard hooked up where I would have the. We'll see if I add that in later. But the reason why Ace is on today, and Doug, keep in the, in the background. See if you can see because it's just going to be a, a now. Now I can't not hear it. All the the, the pings. But you know what. It'll be it'll it'll be fun. It'll be like the Gong Show, I guess. It'll go off anytime I say something stupid. So that's it'll go off a lot. <laughs> so Ace, obviously, I mean, you're a big Guns N' Roses fan. You know, you're an appetite for distortion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, my first concert was Bruce Springsteen when I was six, and my second was Guns N' Roses when I was nine, mm-hmm. with Aerosmith opening up for. I mean, sorry, not Aerosmith. Uh, Skid Row opening up for them at the CNE in in uh, Toronto and I've seen them probably eight times and only one of those times was with the revision Guns N' Roses so yeah you know huge GNR fan I've had the opportunity to meet pretty much every unoriginal member okay of the band but never an original member and I even worked uh, a Kiss Cruise with Steven Adler and there was a moment there where I was about to meet him, but then I got tapped on the shoulder by Kiss's uh, tour manager to go and talk with Kiss. 
So uh, I missed out on that opportunity. <laughs> oh. So so cool. Like, like feet, I was like six feet away from Steven and I was about to tap him on the shoulder and say hi. And then I got tapped on the shoulder and didn't work out. So <laughs> That's all right. And, and Doug, thanks for rejoining us. It was nice. It was frozen on your face smiling. So it was a good shot of you. Maybe you should use that for like a Facebook profile. Of the, the well, yeah. I don't know if you got... Like you're in your normal location. How come I you, you seem like a little uh sketchy today? Like uh yes, yeah, my internet connection is unstable, so so am I. I just don't know why. Okay. Lean um, up. I think if you lean up a little bit, it, 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 it we can hear you better at least. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. I mean I okay. could edit all of this out later, but I, I don't know. I like the whole idea of, of live radio and, and the, the the heart of what Guns N' Roses is that chaotic and things can go possibly wrong. Oh. But I'm the Doug Goldstein of it, trying to keep it together, you know, That's right? right? Yeah. <laughs> See what I did? I, I find my way to try to make it all, have it make sense. Uh, so then, so that's, that's awesome. And it's interesting that you, the last thing before Doug rejoined was you were talking about how close you were to meeting Stephen Adler. And the secondary, you know, unofficial theme of the podcast has become mental health. Mm. And I guess for a lot of reasons, I think, you know, perhaps it, it does come up in other people's conversations if you talk about this band because it's unavoidable. Because uh, you know, Duff McKagan, uh, what he's gone through, slash what he's gone through, and they've all talked about, it, especially Stephen Adler, who, I mean, it's uh, praise whatever you pray to. You know that he's he's still uh, with us today. So you work with you're the executive director of Over the Bridge. So can you tell us more about that because that that's geared towards musicians and mental health. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Over the Bridge, uh, we're a nonprofit organization uh, based here in Canada, but our goal is to change the conversation about mental health and recovery in the music community while providing a compassionate environment in which our members can thrive. And basically what that means is, you know, we, we, we connect with uh, musicians, roadies, you know, people on and off the stage, and we uh, provide free peer support groups, workshops, education, and resources for music community members so they can seek out the help and support that works best for them. Uh, we understand that there's no one way of, you know, uh, of recovery or m managing our mental health. So we're open to all ways and we recognize that, you know, just as unique as a snowflake is and a musician is, and, and people are very unique. And so the path to our recoveries and our mental health is just as unique. So, you know, we work with people to, to figure out what works best for them and, and do our best to provide those resources for them. So. And thank you for, for doing that. Uh, and how long have you been doing it? Because obviously it's the understatement that it's needed now more than ever because of the pandemic. But how long has it been? Um, have, you, have you been doing this? Yeah, you know, we... My mission for, for this started probably back in 2013 or 14. Okay. Over the Bridge came to be in 2017. Uh, and, you know, we've gone, we, we run a large Facebook peer support group with over 1,200 music industry members and, and musicians. And then we run Zoom support groups twice uh, a week, Tuesdays and Fridays, between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern time. So if you're a musician... Come join us. Shameless awesome. little plug there. Not shameless uh, at all. No. So, uh, yeah. But uh, before o Over the Bridge kind of got going, uh, you know, I started off as a drummer myself, 
got my first drums at nine. First song I ever learned was Paradise City. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, Mr. Brownstone right after that, you know, because the, the cool Tom parts, you know, I was really in, into that part. And, and then, you know, I was just the dude in the band that like booked the shows and all the band practice was at my house. I picked up my bandmates and, you know, dropped them off and picked them up. And, you know, then everyone's like, hey, we want to book shows. Well, who's going to do that? Well, I did it. You know, time to book a tour. Well, eight, who does it? I'm like, I'll figure out how to do it. And, you know, and then it comes with the whole like D, uh, DIY mentality at the start. It's like, okay, we needed to make posters. How do you do that? I don't know. Uh, uh, I paint, you know, it, like back in the day. And then, you know, I was often influenced by looking at the, the, the early GNR posters, you know, just sort of like the cut and paste, you know, sure. the punk rock, you know, influenced by DOA and, and, and uh, you know, Black Flag and stuff like that. So, so you just cut out the letters, you glue them on the paper, you go to the corner store and you spend a shitload of money on photocopies and go around and do that. Uh, but then as we got older, you know, some guys wanted real nine to five jobs. That was, that never sat right for me. Although I worked in factories and uh, in between tours and did whatever I had to do, you know, whether it was working in a factory or bouncing at a club or what, whatever. Uh, but then because I learned all these skills of organizing and stuff like that, uh, I got, I, I rolled into tour management mm. uh, that way because I was a drummer. I always had to rely on pairing up with someone to, you know, th there's no solo drum shows going on. <laughs> No one wants to hear a drummer uh, solo for 45 minutes and no. or, or a three-hour set. You know, the, 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 this is whatever cover song, strictly on drums. That doesn't work out so well, and I'm not no, a singer. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, that would be quite annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you know, I, I recognize that. So I needed to sort of take control of, of my life a little bit more. Uh, so from that point, uh, you know, I was literally – on the toilet, looking at the back of a local magazine where there was this ad, you know, just like a lot of people. And it's like, want to join the music industry? Call this number. I'm like, oh, that seems shady enough. Let's give it a call. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what they were doing was that uh, this ad was this management company who actually managed the, the Spice Girls and the Pixies at the time uh, was putting together a tour management class, a 10 week tour management class. Uh, because they kind of got sick and tired of dealing with TMs that were like, you know, just jaded and, and, you know, kind of think they know it all and all that stuff. Okay. So they, so they wanted to build their own crew of tour managers. Uh, so I went through this course. I was the only guy with any tour experience. So I ended up at the top of my class. And as soon as I, I was like, I knew about 70, 75% of the information, but without knowing that information was valuable. Uh, and then they helped me with my account, like tour accounting and things like that, which was really uh, fantastic. And then they had an artist from the UK going down to South by Southwest and they're like, you want to do it? And I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. And, you know, uh, as much as I love working with the bands I was in, they don't respect you unless they're paying you. <laughs> so, so I got a lot more respect working with these, uh, th these other artists. Uh, but then over the years, I started really having these deep conversations with these different artists in different bands, you know, particularly in the post-show drive. You know, you do your show, you know, a great night, there's alcohol and girls around and, you know, the typical rock and roll story. Mm -hmm. 
and then all of a sudden everybody gets in the van, it's quiet and you got another four or five hour drive to go. And then everyone's sort of like on this like post-show lull, like, I wish we could have stayed. You could have done that. That show was great, but you know, duty calls and you got to hit, hit the road. Mm-hmm. And uh, oftentimes during these conversations, you know, people, these guys are talking about the lack of work-life balance because like you're either at home all the time and then, and it's like almost too much family at one time or, or you're on the road. And then it's like, then you got no family and that kind of really started off the conversations and then got deeper into like anxieties and depressions and, and how those emotions are affecting how they are interacting with other people on tour you know, they got at home worries that they can't really address because they're not going to be home for another six weeks yeah, and, and things like that. But then as a, on a particular uh, hip hop tour where this artist was in recovery for three years uh, and he had written a couple albums about his journey and stuff like that. And within a few weeks of that tour, he had relapsed. Uh, management didn't care. Agents didn't care. They just cared that he made it on stage. And uh, we got paid, but his health, no one, no one gave a shit. Uh, so, uh, you know, long story short, uh, it really influenced me to go back to school. I became an addictions counselor, worked at a few different uh, re- recovery programs uh, in around my city of Hamilton, Ontario. And I really seen the power of peer support because I'm running these groups. I was running them with guys who just mid- some half of our groups were, you know, guys just getting out of jail, you know, who was just trying to find the right footing. And often they were, they were mandated to be there by the parole officer, or if they're about to go into jail, it was uh, recommended by their lawyer to make it look good that they were trying to do something better before the court dates. So, so now we got guys who don't want to be there and they feel that they have to, and they don't really want to listen to anybody else, but who they did listen to, were guys who were just getting out of jail or in some, you know, uh, buddies of there that were a few months into the recovery program and they were already seeing the benefits in, in, in their, in their life mm-hmm. and the changes and stuff like that. And like, I just thought that was the coolest thing, you know, guys who are telling me coming in first say, go, Oh, you're the counselor. I'm like, yeah. And they go, fuck you buddy. And they put their head down uh, on the table. And I'm like, well, as much as you're here, you're not here. And you have to participate in this conversation if you want me to mark you here. You know, and so I get a couple more fuck yous and I'm the worst person in the world and all this. And, and that's fine, right? Uh, ne- never did me any harm. Uh, but within a couple of weeks, they'd always come back and apologize for our first interaction and stuff. And it was just really cool. So, and it was always my goal to bring addictions counseling uh into music with me and use it as a tool uh, for me to work with artists. But what I wasn't expecting was the amount of people that wanted to uh, needed the help. So I'm like, this is a little bit overwhelming because it's only me. Uh, So I started up a Facebook peer support group and I grew like wildfire and, uh, and then, you know, and really, peers started connecting with each other and supporting each other. There's been a few times where people have posted late at night, two, three in the morning, you know, not, not feeling so great or struggling with the recovery or their mental health. And by the time I wake up, there's a threat. There's been threads of, you know, phone numbers being shared and, and, 
I wake up at seven o'clock in the morning and see it. And it's, it's, you know, it, it happens once in a while. It's been a very cool experience like that. And, uh, you know, and then we got into doing opiate, opiate, uh, harm reduction training. Uh, the drug in, uh, the States is called Narcan in okay, Canada. Sure. Yeah, in Canada, it's called uh, naloxin. Oh. So, so, but it's all just brand names and sure. all that. But, but, but it's the same thing. So, because we've realized that our industry is out at the weirdest hours at the nights, right? Yeah. So, whether an incident happens at the show, or maybe we come across an incident on our way home, so we've trained, uh, you know, a whole bunch of people. We've distributed over fourteen hundred kits. Uh, you know, uh, to musicians, road crews, bartenders, uh, a festival volunteers and things like that. And we've been fortunate enough to have gotten the word back that nine of those kids have saved lives. And, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have been able to provide that information in, in those toolkits. And, uh, now when COVID hit, uh, I was talking to about, you know, generally three to six people a week outside the peer support groups on my own. But as soon as the pandemic hit, uh, started ramping up and, uh, you know, I averaged about 20 calls a week at this point. Uh, and then, so I was like, oh, okay, I needed to, you know, get up on the zoom peer support stuff rather than just have it people typing away. We need a little bit of more face-to-face, uh, reaction. And now we got a great core of people who, who come in, uh, you know, at every group meeting and we have people who kind of come in and out and uh, come in whenever they need it. And it's been, a, you know, a great help to some people, you know, a lot of people actually. And uh, I, I'm, I feel very blessed that I've been able to, uh, you know, offer support and, uh, and it's find out that it's been beneficial to, to others. So it's been a, uh, an amazing experience really. I, I I can't yeah. even uh, only imagine yeah. how did how did Doug how, how did you cross paths with uh, with Ace? How did that happen, Ace? All I know is that I just love this guy because his heart is so pure, and the mission behind what it is he's trying to do certainly hits home for me. Um, the experiences, but I don't remember the uh, the original introduction, Ace. Yeah, we, we had a mutual friend, uh, Christine, who had in, who had introduced us. Oh, Christina Kelly. Uh, yeah. yes. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, uh, and of course, as, as soon as, uh, I had the opportunity to meet Doug, 12 year old Ace's mind explodes, right? <laughs> because I've been to a ton of the shows he's put on and it's been memorable experiences. And, and of course I'm, I'm a, you know, uh, started being a GNR nerd when I was nine years old. So, so, so I read all the stories about it. And me and Doug have had some phenomenal uh, shared conversations and he's been able to, you know, share some of his experiences about kind of what was going on with the uh, usual illusion tours and things like that. Uh, so some of the struggles in, in that uh, the boys in the band were going through and, you know, just hearing that information at an older age and being able to retain it. Uh, I go, man, I wish I was doing what I was doing now, you know, back in, uh, I could have used Jace. 91, 92. You know, I was at the shows, 
but I was yeah. 13 years old. So. <laughs> yeah, just uh, Brando, I don't know if you remember, but Christina Calio is one of the people that I talked about who is one of the unsung heroes. She worked for Mel Posner in the international department. And as, as you remember, uh, Brando, I, I, I'm a, of the mindset that the band absolutely broke outside of the U.S. first uh, in the U.K. Right. And Christina and uh, her boss, Mel Posner, were integral in that happening. So, oh no, sorry, it was a different Christine, not that one. Uh, okay. Yeah, so, so sorry, uh, I, I I misheard the last name, and I just agreed with you. My bad. <laughs> I'm like that's a, but 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 her last name is 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 very close. I'm just drawing a, a brain fart right now, but uh, but but it is a you know a, a, a tour. She, she's a tour manager and all that, but I don't think she ever w- worked with okay. uh, guns back in the day or anything like that. But uh, you know she. She, she's a great uh, advocacy for, for recovery in the music industry in her own right. So, you know, uh, I just think when people all sort of have a like-mindedness, you know, of a mission of, uh, of offering support and being of service to others, we, we all sort of uh, just, you know, like magnets, you know, and end up just kind of drawing close and getting introduced. So. Yeah. Doug, is there anything that you learned I guess from Ace, given your experience, you know, anything that, you know, someone, it's just because it's interesting talking to you. And again, these are future conversations about your history and how you became a manager. You didn't go to school. Like Ace went to a school for it. So it's just, it's interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, uh, Ace and I, uh, our interchange of information through the years that we've known each other, it's mutually beneficial for each. I mean, he tells me a lot of stuff that I wish I, had him play back then, and I've admitted to him the same thing that I've admitted to everybody, which is, um, particularly as it relates to Duff McKagan, um, I never should have had him on the road. Um, and I'll never be able to um, go back. I wish I could, um, because uh, we almost lost him. And I, had, I was way too busy dealing with heroin issues, and I had no idea about um, you know, uh, the struggles that he was going through. Or I, I knew, but I didn't put a stop to it. I should have. Yeah, because we we have spoken about that. And Ace, that's what I was saying before. That's how these conversations come up in a Guns N' Roses podcast, whether it's Duff, whether it's West or Keen, you know. Um, what and Ace, Ace also knows, I mean, one of the things that, that we really started talking about was I spent, you know, a year and a half as the uh, chief operating officer of a, uh, a nonprofit for the opioid epidemic. And so that's just another way that, uh, that Ace and I were communicating about the Narcan. Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. So, Ace, what is what would you say is the most common thing you have seen or common struggle now with musicians? I mean, I guess we could be stating the obvious because we want to be working. Um, but is there something most common? And I guess is there a common? Because we were talking about with the snow, how it's yeah, each road to recovery is different. But is there a common thing you see? people struggling through and is there a common practice to possibly get out of that? Again, I know this doesn't apply to all. Well, the post or yeah, before right. COVID. Well, you could say, yeah, sure. Both. Right, right, yeah, right. Well, because, because the struggles have, have changed uh, from my perspective is before for the touring artists who spent, you know, months, uh, you know, months at a time on the road, it was really like, the 
the lack of connection with their family and the and the lack of life work balance. You know, there's there's the typical nine to five job, which these musicians don't have. You know, and if you go to any mental health or recovery specialist, they'll say you got to find that work life balance. But when you're in the industry, you know, you you're at your emotional height later on in the day, right? And it takes longer to fall asleep and to sort of get that eight hours in. It's not like a nine to five job. If even if you had a an exciting job, you still have your evenings to sort of calm down and prepare yourself. Now, you know, in G, in the case of GNR, who play not afraid to play at one o'clock in the morning, and now or start <laughs> or start at one o'clock in the morning. You know, I saw Doc's face. I was like, <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah, yeah, but but on on like a a dopamine level, it takes time for that for those emotions to sort of calm down and prepare yourself for sleep. So it's not like, yeah, 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 I just played a show to, you know, uh, 20 to 80,000 fans and now I can go to bed right like this, right? There's, there's a time to, that artists need to decompress and prepare themselves for, for sleep. Mm. And, and it's tough getting that quality sleep on a bus, no matter how nice the bus is, <laughs> you're, you're, you're still moving. And it's a, always a little bit of a mind fuck when you like wake up and you're not in the same place that you started with. Mm. Uh, right. So, but now that COVID is here, you know, w- there's still no work life balance because now everyone's just gone straight to being at home all the time. And in addition to that, uh, a- another big struggle is this feeling of loss of identity. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because any musician, uh, they are, their identity is their work. And now they're not able to do it depending on where you are, like where I'm in Toronto. We, we can't even, musicians can't even get together for a band practice or to do a live stream anymore, right? Because they're, they, cause, yeah, yeah, they, they just knocked that out like last week where people can't even get together to record a pre-recorded live stream. Uh. It, it's, uh, it's, it's really frustrating. But like when, when, you, when your livelihood is based on who you are, and now you can't do that anymore. It's a sense of loss, uh, often maybe a sense of grief and, and grieving. Mm. And it's 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 been uh, very interesting to to you know to come ha- have these conversations. Like they're interesting conversations to have, and they're the perspectives are interesting. But also, I could definitely see that because. Uh, Brando, if you weren't doing, if you were unable to do what you're doing right now, who who would you be on the inside? Like, if you got fired, we're like, you've put everything into this project. This is you. It's not just like a nine to five clock job. It's your identity. This is why you make the big bucks or doing what you're doing. Because I was thinking that the entire time. And that's, you're right. And I see a lot of my radio friends going through that now because essentially COVID took away their jobs. And it's difficult because it's happened within my company. It's happened with all companies across the, the board, people losing their jobs because, well, companies are also made of people. You know, it's, it's a trickle-down effect. And then when you lose your job, when you're, yeah, you're a radio person, who are you after? And I've thought about that. I, I'm very lucky, knocking wood. I've had very short moments without being on the air. 
um, mm-hmm. during my career. And this podcast is different because I'm not, other than when I fill in produce at uh, Q1043 in New York, and that's like, uh, you know, as a producer talks in a morning show, it's not my show. But it's been right. a while since I've, d- I've been the idiot that talks between Zeppelin and Stones, you know, for 30 seconds. That, But I was Brando. And I think I've said this to Doug, right? So you know me as Brando. It's, I have that on my Zoom right now. But I like being called Brandon because I, for me, that deals with my duality, depression, I'm not good enough kind of thing. I've always said I'm not, before the GNR podcast, I'm not Axel. I'm not Slash, I'm not Cher, I'm not Bono, I'm not one of these one-name people. But when I haven't had those moments, when I haven't been Brando, and I've had to do maybe other jobs to support my radio job, and I have to introduce people as myself as Brandon, oh, by the way, I do radio on the on the weekends or something, because I feel like that gives me self-worth. So yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I see that a lot now with, with musicians, obviously. I think that's why a lot of musicians are turning to podcasting now, to keep their brand alive until this starts happening so that's 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 a that's a big that's a big deal you know it's it's, it's, it's yeah it's not just losing your job it's losing your identity if you do to, what we do to intercede sorry Ace, but to Please. intercede uh it's obviously a situation as well where it's the bigger they are the harder they fall in other words um when you're talking about a sense of loss um you know if if you're a smaller band um you know playing in front of uh, maybe you're opening uh you know in front of a thousand people it's a lot different than uh, if you are a Guns N' Roses or an Aerosmith or an ACDC because the size of those crowds, now you're talking about 25,000 to 100,000 people. And so the accolades are so entrenched in your head. And so when Ace talks about that dopamine kick, um, you know, you've heard me say this, Brando, quite often, but they come off the road and nobody's carrying their bags into the house and nobody's, you know, so all of a sudden the wife or the girlfriend or whatever is saying, excuse me, but the dog's not going to clean up after himself. Right? Right. So there's this major step off that happens, um, uh, right. you know, as opposed to, I mean, when, when he's your illusion, we were literally averaging 4.3 shows a week. Um, and so, you know, those accolades um, are connecting to the receptors of the brain every single night. And so now you step off, you go home, you take a break. And the depression really hits. And I, I would argue, again, that the larger you are, the harder you are. Doug Frost, but I think, yeah, that the bigger you are, the harder you fall is what I, I think. Uh, we finished oh, each other's sentences. That, that's how it works. Yeah. And the same set of athletes, you know, that that's a big transition when an athlete retires. Yeah, and absolutely. But again, it's like you said, like you're, even though you're saying, yeah, the, big, the bigger you are, the harder you fall, it's still the smaller people. That, that need, in a way, need that identity. Okay. Like, I'm saying this, Doug, you know I'm being sincere when I say this. I consider myself a nobody. But, you know, if I didn't have, like, the Brando thing where I get to yeah. talk to cool people, yeah. you know, I mean, I like my life. I like my three cats. I, I love, you know, my fiance. But it's like, I don't know. Like, when I'm not doing a show, I'm not doing radio. It's like, I don't I don't know what to do with myself. So, but and that's me. It's a nobody. That's a, that's... So something did somebody have a birthday recently? Oh, she did. Yes, she's so she's officially she's my fiance is officially older than me. She's 38, I'm 37. So she's robbing the cradle for a few months. Happy birthday on the podcast. Happy oh. birthday. <laughs> oh, thanks. I'm sure I'm sure she'll listen. If this was yeah. if this was a Dave Matthews podcast, she would listen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did I show this since we're doing this on Zoom? 
I don't know if I don't know if I show this on Zoom. She made me this pillow for my my birthday last year. Oh, that's GNR uh, loves DMB. That is cool. So I had a yeah. She likes her Etsy shop things. Anyway, yeah. but that's but, helped. But that's helped me. And that's Ace. I thought about this too during uh, quarantine. If I didn't have this podcast where I get to talk to people like Doug, talk to people like you, get to talk to my listeners, and if I was home, even though I am working. Wow, I would be super depressed if I didn't have a, a fiance and if I have cats. Like it's, it could be teetering. Like you know, yeah, a hundred percent. So, 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 one thing you guys are describing there, something we we've actually been looking into on a research level, is called post-performance depression, hmm. right? Or the the research is called post-performance mood response because as we're sending out the questionnaires, we couldn't uh, uh, guide the participants in one way or the another one way or the other, but post-performance mood uh, depression, you know, it happens after a show or after an entire tour and it it circles back around to the dopamine and serotonin levels. Once again, right. They, they they get up high and the lifestyle of all of touring becomes normalized. Although touring is chaotic in its own sense, you know what to expect every day. You know, you're going to do a sound check. You're probably going to do some press and you're going to do the show. You know, you got those three things and, and some food in there at, at some points, right? But once you get home, uh, you got to start making your bed again. You got to start picking up the dog shit. You have to start, uh, you know, taking your kids to school, you know, and, and which is a different skill set altogether. And the transition period is very tough. And because substance, uh, substance use is normalized on the road uh and it's not no uh i can't speak for everybody's households dynamics but for the majority you know drinking throughout the day is not a normalized activity sure you know you you wake up at 12 o'clock on the road for for those artists who can you know 2 2 30 you know they'll be like okay well they're available in the dressing room you know what i mean uh and that sort of lifestyle uh, you know, it only takes 21 days to form a habit, right? So if so, if you're out there for long periods of time, that sort of activity has become very normalized. And when you're not participating, you know, and having that pre-show beer or shots or whatever, people go, the, people start questioning you. Yeah. The, the, there's not many. Uh, there's there's not many uh, types of job where they're going to promote you uh, to, to say, hey, go get drink and get wild as you can because that's what the audience expects. Yeah, you know? or a reality star, you know, basically. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, uh, there's, there's not many occupations. And also one thing we need, I would like to touch on is the emotional aspect of being an artist. You know, from, the, from creating the song, you know, often you dig deep into breakups, uh, mm-hmm. r- r- relationships, hardships, struggles, and, and things like that. And then because the nature of music of going out and repeating those songs night and night, it, it's difficult for some of those wounds to heal when you're opening up every night. And then now with social media, everybody is a, everyone's a keyboard warrior. And let's say, something in your life happens, you miss a wedding, you know, you find out someone passes, you got to go up there and perform like nothing's happened. Mm -hmm. And if you have an off night and not singing that love song, like you just wrote it yesterday, 
people are going to start shitting on you, right? It's like, oh, his heart wasn't into it. Mm-hmm. He phoned it in tonight. How many times has some dude who's worked at Tim Hortons or top or Hot Topic or whatever not wanting to be there, and they go in and they hide in the back? Well, when you're a rock and roll star, you got to be front and forward and have all that gusto, and, and that's what is expected. So if an artist has a bad night, we don't know what's going on in the backgrounds, right? But it's so easy, right. but it's so easy for people to just sit there and click. And if you're a young artist who hangs their hat on a lot of social media, you're about to get your ass kicked. Yeah. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah, you are absolutely right, and that is something I say quite often. You know, I it's amazing. I don't think any other uh, fan base does this quite like Guns N' Roses, where they analyze every performance. And it's yeah. like, you don't Eric, know what they have gone through, you know, that day, a bad day. You know, it could sure. be a bad day. You know, maybe they had the shits that day and you still got to perform. I've had it just so yeah. I, I understand. I've had to be on the radio uh, during like horrific moments in my life, just knowing like I had to perform. Right. Uh, I'll never forget this when I was taking care of my, my grandfather. Uh, he was uh, dying of, uh, he had oral cancer awful like he never smoked but it was just awful and i was commuting to actually from brooklyn to poughkeepsie so it would take like a two-hour drive if maybe doug you're familiar yeah yeah and i just wake up and he's like puttering around the kitchen and i can see blood everywhere and he's just like his one of his sores i gotta clean that up i'm cleaning up the kitchen then i drive two hours i know this is terrible but these are things that i now i'm doing a five-hour radio show then I, I gotta I gotta do it. And I'm again I'm a nobody. I'm not Axel. I gotta pretend I can't be. So that was Guns N' Roses. Welcome to the Jungle. One one point five WPDH. And I you know what though I did say to my program director a couple. Um, I said I believe my past two weeks performances weren't as good as they could be. I've had some stuff going on. He never approached me about it, but I had to tell him that. And Are you open th- those things happen. Yeah. It, and everyone's different. You know I, I mentioned uh, athletes earlier. Uh, Brett Favre, that, that famous game after his dad died, was like one of the best games of his career. Wow. It's not everyone's going to do that. That's great that he did that. He fought through that, but there are people that are going to need off. You know, so so he, 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 here's a question for you, Brando, is what if you were unable to go and take care of your dad during those, um, knowing what he was going through? So that's a, that's a little bit of a, like a, a regret. Uh, with, with with my dad, I went on. I went back on the air maybe five days after he took mm-hmm. his life, and I knew. Oh, sorry. That's all right. Uh, mm-hmm. I knew that if I didn't wait, like if I didn't wait, if I waited any longer, I would not have been on the air ever again. Like I know I needed to do this. You know, I needed mm-hmm. to get back on, on the on the road, so to speak. But I knew my dad always listened to me. He liked to watch me perform. And he got that kind of adrenaline. That was like a good part of his day. But you're right. I was so focused. Maybe I, I didn't have the right work-life balance. I was so yeah. focused on my career, making, uh, you know, getting full time in radio at that point. I wasn't seeing what was going on with my family. You know, the, the other thing though that I'd like to uh, circle back to is when uh, when Ace was talking about the peer group uh, as a as a help, right? Um, right. Uh, to to be able to talk to other people, Brando, who've gone through similar experiences, would that help? Uh, for instance, I have a friend. I, I won't. About his personal business, but him and his brother were sitting at the table when his father put a gun in his mouth and, and blew his brains out in front of him. Um, uh, how do you ever come back from that? Mariska Haggard on uh, on Law and Order SUV. 
She's been on there forever. Um, Jane Mansfield was her mother. Um, different, she didn't take her life. She was an automobile accident, but the mother's head, Jane Mansfield's head, lasted in her, uh, landed in her scabbardies. Uh, she's six years old or something. Uh-huh. So I think that the pure uh, mentality, I think Ace is dead right. I mean, to be yes. able to share similar experiences and realize you're not alone, right? Um, I think it's really imperative uh, in people's uh, healing of whatever uh, it is that they're going. Yeah, no, you're right. And I'm glad you, you said that. And Ace, I know we only have you for a little bit while, while longer, but the pure thing, and that's why I'm so grateful for the audience of Appetite for Distortion. Yeah, it's a Guns N' Roses podcast, but I'm telling you, like it was recently, recently as yesterday, I get them all the time. Thank you for talking about mental health. This is what I'm going through. And I've learned, you know, at the time I thought I went through the worst thing anyone has ever gone through. But when you go to, you know, I, I, thankfully I was already in therapy at the time. And, but you learn after, like there are people who, and worse could be subjective, but there are people who have also had terrible tragedies. And now it, it made me just realize and, and appreciate also, you know, why I'm also a Guns N' Roses fan because of the tragedies they've all experienced. It's, yeah. They're not just, you know, it's a rock band. Like what Axel has gone through is, and what he's able to come out of it and, and where he is now is, Oh my goodness! He and I mentioned Stephen Adler at the beginning. They could be they could be tragedies. Sorry. And Rando that he shared publicly. He shares publicly some of the struggles that he's gone through. It's really imperative, you know. It's um, he's talking to people about things that transpired in when he was a child, and and there's a lot of uh, yeah. I, I hear from the fans a lot that you know this particular song um, got me through some of the most difficult times of my life. And they're thinking me. I didn't write the song. I mean, I, but uh, it's actually refreshing to to you know to hear people that have been able to latch on to uh, what Axel's experiences have been for their own purposes. Uh, him and I used to uh, we used to dispute. You know, why do people want to get my autograph? It's not about the autograph, right? He said, but yeah, but the autograph that's just so they can show their friends that they met me. And I said, no, you're wrong. You're totally wrong. They want that's just the ability to stand in front of you and tell you what there's your songs meant to them and because in every situation ace you did security you know yeah. uh, but when i was a bodyguard in particular you're running into people and all they want to do with that autograph is share their life's experiences based upon what the musician has given them and no more no less it's not about the autograph it never has been well one of the most unique things about the music industry and the, and these bands is the cultures that they create Mm-hmm. amongst their fans you know whether you go to a rock concert or opera show or edm or country or whatever genre of music there is a built-in culture surrounding that and then you got the mega artists you know like Guns N' roses and acdc and aerosmith and and you know uh jay-z and and all these guys you know that they, they have cult and kiss you know they have that they have created lifelong community and cultures that live and, you know, not, hopefully not die, but like, you know, but, but they, their life is structured around the values of a lot of these artists. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there's no brands out, you know, maybe except for Nike that is able to get that sort of, uh, community be behind them because you know p- people 
feel like they've been able to connect with these artists through the through their songs and and it's a very one-way relationship you know because the fans know everything about about the artist but the artist doesn't know anything about that particular fan but that doesn't take away from the experience of those people within that culture so you know in you know just circling back around to otb a little bit is just like you know through these conversations and through me you know being able to recognize things like this is although, although otb does focus in on artists and the influence of the influencers of the music industry it's because we hope that those people take it back to their communities you know put put something positive in their songs because we know that the work that otb does has an opportunity to influence these people which eventually i hope cross my fingers could lead you know fans to a a wealthier lifestyle no not not financially but just more mentally rich and physically Mm -hmm. rich and uh it because of the influential power that these artists have within their you know fan base slash community yeah Yeah. And, and speaking of slash I know what you meant in a different way. Uh, I, 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 that's why I always I enjoy when Slash and especially Duff they talk about it because it's they so many fans will relate to those stories as much as any song, as much as any song. Yeah. And mm-hmm. whether we like it or not, we shouldn't have any idols or idolize anybody. It is what it is. You know, I'm I, I don't idolize. Guns and Roses. Obviously, I love them to death, and yeah, it would mean a lot to. And it does mean a lot when they talk about mental health. It makes me feel less weird because yeah. I know I'm weird, and and I can identify. You know, even though I'm a lowly radio guy, there the branding thing again. I can identify with with, and I understand and apply to my life and help me navigate my life. And that's, I'm I'm hoping that's what people are are, are able to take away from this conversation and. and whether they're in a band or not and just see like maybe they have a brand right an identity from going into their office every day and they're the most popular person in their office and now they're missing that you know they were the funniest guy at, at lunch you know so they get this to everybody but it's it's wonderful that you're focusing on musicians because that's more about that there's the whole save our stages thing and and right uh, there's so many people out of work and yeah. uh, it's so many layers to it so you're, you're definitely doing a, a lot of work and i'm glad that you're doing it so thank you uh anything go ahead, go ahead doug yeah no i feel incredibly blessed to know ace and uh and consider him and call him a friend um what he does is a tireless job um where all he does is uh try and help others and i think he should be commended for that um i know he's got a hard stop so um, Ace, if you would like to share um, how people can reach the organization, that would be awesome. Yeah, you know, on social media, uh, you can find us at OTB, non- OTB Nonprofit. That's for our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook accounts, and overthebridge.org. And if you come to our website and scroll down just a little bit, there is a link that will take any musician or industry person right to our peer support groups. Uh, you know, we are there on Tuesdays and Fridays between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern time. And, uh, you know, uh, we don't do this for the money. If you try, trust me, we don't do it for the money. But if, any, <laughs> but, but if anybody does have a few extra bucks that they would like to donate and support musicians' mental health, we'd be greatly appreciated for any donations. Water, guys. 
See, oh, Brando, you got to get this out there. I'll try and hook us up with Fiji. Oh, Fiji water? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and actually, one thing is, since this does have a, you know, you, you have a great uh, audience here, uh, we're always looking for partnership opportunities. And one thing that's been on the back of my head lately is how can we get, uh, you know, more tour sponsored by other things outside of alcohol? You know, like I would love to, you know, if someone from Coca-Cola slash bubbly is listening here, yeah. contact me. I want to, I want to work with bubbly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's Buble. If you've seen the commercials. Oh, yeah. Buble. Yes. And yes. Very. And speaking of commercials, I, I refrain from doing this all episode. Ace is the place with a helpful hardware store. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, it's been a few years since I've heard that one, but I, <laughs> I think they throw throwback. <laughs> the commercials on all the time here in the states or New York, or whatever. Sorry. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Please, you know, thank at you. Least, it's a place for your for your uh, helpful addiction issues. That's what we need to change it to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So yeah, you know, we're we're here. You know, join our Facebook group. Visit us on, on our Zooms. Uh, you know, email me directly, and uh, we'll we'll do our best to to help anybody out. And uh, you know, I really don't like giving out referrals because uh, be, because I think the world of of help people get shuffled around too often. You know, I'll go talk to this person, to this person, this person. No, come talk to me. You know, I mean, the the buck stops here, and we, you know, our our peer support groups is uh is a great way great place to start so ace. god bless you what you do ace thank you so much buddy i appreciate your time and your friendship no uh, i thank you very much doug I, I love everybody and if there's any opportunity to come and visit you again brando i, I, I love i love it so. absolutely this won't be the last time we speak a ace thank you for your time and everything that you do thank you very much take care got doug are you gonna do some overtime with me or are you just gonna say yeah. bye to ace my, where's my stuff? Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right, everybody. I really appreciate this. Bye. We'll talk to you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye. Ace. Bye. All right. So as Ace says goodbye, are we going to do some overtime or are we going to? Uh... Yeah, I'm working until about two. So I've got an hour. Oh, well, we're not going to do another hour. We want this episode to focus. <laughs> you <gotta> say that. <laughs> I mean, is, <laughs> is there anything I guess you want to talk about? Because people are, you know, obviously love, uh, you know, hearing from you, you're one of my uh, my favorite guests and listeners' you know, favorite uh, guests. Let's kind of talk about um, the mental health issue because you know, um, I recently had my feelings hurt when I discovered something, a video of Axel Rose talking about my, me being in an insane asylum, which never transpired. Oh. Um, I certainly have had my own uh, issues, um, saddened by uh, losing my children, um, by them, you know, being moved around, um, but. Uh, to blanketly say that I was in an insane asylum is false. So if people hurt, haven't, if people haven't seen, there's a video going around, and I didn't share it on social media because it was just one of those, you know, Axel's on a tour bus with with some ladies, uh, and and obviously people, uh, someone's filming without his knowledge. So I guess it felt creepy. It wasn't even like a paparazzi. It was like somebody was filming without him seeing it, and he was he said. Uh, that you were a good, he was, I don't know why you started talking about you. I think he was saying that, you know, now Fernando's his manager and he was laughing, joking, he was screwed. I, I, I don't know, you know, I don't need Fernando to possibly dislike me or, you know, <laughs> as I try to, you know, because I would love to talk to Slash and Duff about mental health at some point if they ever want to come on. So, uh, 
But Axel said he went crazy, something about your ex-wife, and he was institutionalized. And that was sent to you by a few, you know, because you're you're friendly with fans that want you to see it, and that's what you're referring to. So, like, why would Axel think that? Or, or I don't even want to say. I think this is a few. This is something that I want to say before you even continue. If you are, because I've had family members, and I haven't come close. I've had family members and friends who have spent a few days in a mental facility, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying you dig, Doug. But it shouldn't be said in that way because I'll this was go back to what I was just talking about with my with my dad with uh with Ace and I know I've spoken to you more about it, Doug. He was supposed to like go again, and he couldn't handle it. Like thinking like he was like a failure and going again like in his life, you know. And my mom was like, "Just uh, tell everyone you're just going on a vacation. Extend. No one even needs to know that's where you're going." But. In, so there's nothing wrong with that. That needs to be said first and foremost. In fact, uh, I, I have been pretty vocal about my own family and some of the uh, issues that they had to do with my brother. And, uh, and yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with seeking help. It was just very strange to me to hear him talk about me because he doesn't know. Um, and, and I love him very much. And so it, it just kind of hurt my heart um, that he would uh, take to that level to tell people that don't even know who I am. Um, it'd be different if he was talking to Beta and Fernando and Del James and blah, blah, blah. It didn't transpire that way. Or if he wanted to talk to me about it, I would certainly tell him. And I take ownership in some of the issues that I've had. Um, you know, uh, so uh, I will never tell you that I'm the most sane guy you'll ever meet. Uh, I don't think anybody who's creative is. Um, and I'm absolutely creative. But yeah, no, that one just, and you know, Brando, because we talked about it off the record. It just, that one just struck me weird and, and hurt my heart. And it was clearly from before the Not in the Lifetime tour. Um, at least, you know, when you're looking at kind of time frame, it looks like Brazil somewhere on a tour bus. So I can, yeah, I, he has like the Fu Manchu thing going, and that's right. before, you know. He, knocking, uh, on, knock, knock, knocking on seven s'mores, and now he's looking fantastic. The guy's in incredible, stupid shape, and, I, and God bless him. I mean, the guy's, you know, he took, uh, he took a lot of heat publicly um, for how, what his appearance looked like, and I'll tell you what, that was just incredible for guys, you know, 59. You know, and that's something else too that I believe relates to the mental health com, uh, conversation. And I think about, how can you not think about, anybody thinks about themselves, whether uh, in some degree. So when I see that about Axel or other artists who've gotten older, I think recently like Michael Monroe, because uh, he was just on with Todd Kearns uh, okay. for on his podcast. So it, just, it made uh, the news and people were, you know, talking shit about the way Michael Monroe looks. And it's like, you know, I don't think people understand what aging is. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean you become ugly or whatever negative thing. That's just what aging is. It's just a process of whether it's a, a fucking turtle or a person or, you know, wood. It's just, it's an aging process that we all do. So it's just, it's strange. And in that, arena, you know, when you are a public face to kind of bounce off with aces, uh, what he was talking about with, uh, your, your brand, the brand is your, also your looks. So, Absolutely. so when you are getting shit on by people, you don't know, yeah, right. and it's hard, you know, even the, the, the Axel, uh, I'm, I, I'm assuming he had a, a thick skin, but like to lash out. I mean, he, I don't, I don't think he had a, I don't, did he, what, what would you say? Do you have a thin skin or a thick skin? 
uh, see, uh, again, I know this guy incredibly well, and to think that those comments wouldn't hurt him um, are that's a ludicrous assertion. Um, right. So even if you think like it wouldn't hurt somebody, it still can. Like we're still just like how we all age, we're all subject to. It's not even like being snowflakes, how some people like to label it. That's just where human beings, we're not only built to age, we're built to be hurt emotionally. That just is what it is. And if you don't get hurt emotionally, you need to see a therapist because this, you're not allowing yourself to feel that. Again, Brando, just to, just to reiterate, I mean, uh, of, of all the band members, I would have to say Axel is the most sensitive. Um, he's incredible. And, and, you know, he gets mad at me when I say nice things about him, which I find really amusing. But... He is an incredibly sweet uh, uh, man who's a fantastic friend to have. Um, he's just a good guy. And so, uh, but he's, he's also very sensitive. I used to tell him all the time, don't read the facts. No, stop reading the facts. He was the one that now, it's, um, I mean, you know, everybody sits in front of the computer with a phone and they can post anything. Cowards behind keyboards, which I thought I was going to talk about that. Yeah, I'm not into it. And I'm not going to be, um, I'm not in denial where, People are like, okay, somebody looks different or sounds different. Let's just use the word different. And I'd be like, sure. But it's one of those things. It sounds so cliche and stupid. Like, if it's, do you really need to say something not nice? Like, like what does that do? You know, you could think it, maybe say it in your house, but to go out of your way and type it, you know, I guess that's why. So I think you need to question your your mental health if you're the kind of person. And I think maybe, Doug, you'll, you, you can, um, because you're, oh, you're very honest, and that's why we get along. I wasn't always like this. I, I understood. I feel I understood mental health or an empathy. I had to go through my tragedies because I, I think I didn't get it when I was younger. I would say things that may be hurtful. You know, I would criticize this person looks ugly, this person looks fat, but I would be saying the same things about myself. So there are things I, I want to like, and I have actually apologized to other people before. When I felt like I wasn't, you know, sober from alcohol or wasn't and, you in know, therapy, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, it's I mean, it's interesting. I, I literally last night laying in bed, I saw there's this good friend, he's a fan of the bands uh, from Ireland, Stephen Brown, and um, and he had posted a picture, and it looked like the person in the picture looked like he was having a good time, and and, uh, and so I said, oh look, it looks like Rain Man, right? And he and he wrote back, and it was it was because somebody had passed, and I felt like. Idiot. So you got to be careful because you don't know what somebody else is going through, right? Before you make some kind of an inane comment, like I did. I know, and I still catch myself. I still catch myself. I'm like, I shouldn't have said that. And, and I think that's the most important thing. That if you say something that may offend or hurt somebody, it's what happens after. If you really like, okay, wow, okay, I didn't, I didn't get that, and you learn, take that as a learning moment. That's great. So that's why I would love to hear, you know, Axel talk about. His, his feelings on one in a million, uh, excuse me, one in a million now where I've had, uh, and I just got this uh, message yesterday from a listener, um, um, an African-American listener who just found me and, oh. and, and, and listened to the conversations I had about that with Tracy and Roberta separately mm-hmm. and really appreciated it, you know, because right. I'm honest about my feelings, how I had to get over certain of my racist tendencies or I didn't understand that they were. You know, I think that's all, but that's all human. It's all evolving. So to see, again, to see where Slash and Duff are now compared to what they were when you were dealing with them is, is something of a, of a miracle. All of them. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding? I look at it and I just go, God bless them. I mean, you know, uh, 
and, and look, I mean, you know, I, I have to give the team. I mean, people don't like when I say nice things about Team Brazil either, but the reality is Beta and and uh, Fernando being in Axel's life and, and Slash's life and Duff's life and all that, they're clearly doing something right in terms of making sure that the guys are staying happy and clean. And I mean, they, from all the, the reports I get, the guys are doing fantastic. And so you know, accolades have to be given to Team Brazil for the ability to keep that together as well. You know, And that's something I'm glad you, you, you said, because uh, as much as like I try to be impartial, you know, I will criticize when necessary, but that's something I would, I do. I have always felt about Team Brazil and I don't know if I've, I feel like I've said it. If they got Axel to a place where he's smiling on stage, you know, and, and giving him that family that, you know, eluded him, that's the best thing. Like, yeah, no. we all want new music. We all want this, this, this. But that, nothing is more important than that. Nothing. I Even as a hardcore, just Guns N' Roses fan, I don't know Axel. Like, you know Axel. So I'm not as emotionally, personally connected, obviously. But as a, as a human being, I'd rather have a happy Axel than new music, honestly. Well, and it's fun for me to watch him on the. Oh, that's okay. He was having a good time, and 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 so just, yeah. So just to go on record again, um, you know, for the fans who do listen in, um, just please know that uh, that my feelings as it relates to Team Brazil are, you know, Beta and Fernando have been his family, and they love him, and it's very evident, and so. Um, so that needs to be acknowledged, whether whatever your feelings are about ticket prices or whatever else, or accessibility to the band. Regardless, um, they're doing a great job. Uh, yeah, as much as I I want to interview them, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I, I I've learned I'm not going to put my selfishness of, of get, landing an interview over. You know, I I, I don't know like what would, a, a clickbait would come out of it and uh, set them in, in, in a tizzy. I I don't know. I do I do my best. I do my best. And I think uh, that's why I like talking to you, Doug, because it's not just the GNR stories. You come from a place where I think, like, you got it. You've learned so much, and you've been through so much, you know, and you're so. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. So I'm, I'm, I appreciate you bringing uh, Ace on uh, to have this, this conversation. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's stuff that needs to be heard and said. Um, I hope that the fans reach out uh, if anybody's in need, because um, Ace is a wonderful man who will absolutely help. I know Ace for sure. I know fans have reached out to you uh, yeah. just to chat. I know fans have obviously reached out to me because I've I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. I absolutely acknowledge all of you who have reached out to me privately just to thank me for talking about mental health. And it's it's nice because I just didn't know how that was going to be received because this is Guns N' Roses. We got to talk Guns N' Roses. But you know what? It It, it makes sense. It makes sense. And we're touching a nerve because whether people have experienced it themselves uh, or in their family, everybody has experienced it. Right. So that's Someone what. Be friend, could be family, whatever. That's uh, that's it. So everybody is a fan of Guns N' Roses, and everybody has mental health issues, and that's why that's what this podcast is about. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the reason they are fans. <laughs> that's exactly. Yeah, we all have. We all. I. I I think I probably said that early on in the podcast. I'm like, you, you need to be a little mentally unstable to be a Guns N' Roses fan, to be a diehard Guns N' Roses or fan. Manager. <laughs> or their manager. <laughs> Fair enough. Not you, Fernando, me. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. I know what you meant. Uh, uh, we did, um, you know, I did a whole episode on depression. I mean, it was a while ago with uh, Alan Niven, you know, so he's somebody 
know, I know people have reached out for that episode. So in addition, if you want to hear more about it, actually on YouTube, I put up a few separate episodes of different guests talking about mental health. So Alan Niven's up there. Uh, Brian Head Welsh is up there. Uh, Rocco Guarino, who worked with Velvet Revolver. Yeah, he, I mean, he directed some videos. He, he did a lot of different stuff for, for them. And there's another, there's a, there's a fourth person. So anyway, that's, that's a, what I call an AFD compilation. So I, there's, a, there's two of them actually, Doug, on, on YouTube. There's one of just a West Arkeen-related interviews uh-huh. where people from the outpatients wow. and uh, his nephew, believe it or not. So that's all together in one compilation. And then uh, YouTube, uh, obviously mental health. There's a compilation in addition to this episode because you know what, Doug? This all ties in together because people are at home looking for things to do and, and escape. People will say they started re-listening to this podcast and then they appreciate you know it's a mental escape. Not all these podcasts are, you know, they could be half hour long, maybe an hour. This one's going to be almost an hour and a half. If you just want to sit and escape for a few hours and listen to Guns N' Roses talk, I gave you a couple themes to do. So one of them being mental health. So there you go. Uh, Doug, we're obviously going to do this again. We have a lot to talk about, but we got to maybe, we're not going to rub the, the genie lamp yet, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Brando, do you want to mention that you and I might be working on something? Do you, uh, yeah, I guess we can just, we'll, we can leave a little nugget at the end of the episode, see if anybody notices and see what happens. You want to do it? Well, it's, it's your book, so. <laughs> so, uh, everybody has said, you know, when are you going to write a book? When are you going to write a book? And so, um, the, one of the things that I love about Brando is he doesn't take sides. Um, and so, uh, I approached him, uh, gosh, months ago now about the uh, chance to work together on, uh, on a book project. And so him and I are doing that. One of the things that I want uh, and Brenda wants is if you want us to talk about something in the book, please let Brando know and he will bring it up and we will record it, talk about it. And we will absolutely say this was asked by this person. So uh, completely in Guns N' Roses book in that we're asking the interaction of the fans. Okay. You cut out Take a little bit at the end there, but that'll be good when it's written down because there will be no audio, well, unless we do an audio book. But uh, yeah, I, I guess, um, I, first thing I guess I should say, I, I, I shouldn't even say, I guess I should say, I know I should say is thank you, Doug, for this op- unbelievable opportunity to do this. You know, I've written one self-published book in my life. It was when I started my radio career. And I was only working weekends, and one of my side jobs was working at this very old, uh, this was in Cape Cod, if I didn't say that, uh, a very old like sandwich shop, ice cream sandwich shop. And it started out like 100 years ago as a, a pharmacy, then a post office. It was like fourth generation. So the owner always wanted to put together a book. He had all these old artifacts and pictures. So over the course of a, of a of a winter where Cape Cod is closed basically because yeah. it's a summer place. I helped him write the book where I, I had, I, my only experience was, you know, journalism school and, and things, you know, maybe short articles I've written about sports, nothing, nothing crazy, but we did it all through Microsoft word. And, uh, I mean, that's, I thought that was crazy. That sold like maybe 400 copies or something like that. And, you know, Doug, uh, brings this up to me and what am I going to say? No, I'm not going to say no. It's certainly daunting, but Doug is often, he's, I forgot who you made this joke with, joke with because I just don't, 
you know, as we talk about mental health, it's appropriate. I just, I should think more highly of myself than I do. I just don't. So it's one of those, until it's real, it's hard to talk about, you know, like until this is, uh, this book is like, they're uh, printed. It's going to be like, oh my God, anything can go wrong. I'm those dog. If I get a call from somebody, like I always think it's something bad is going to happen. It's never anything good. And it's, but obviously most of it has been. That's the Jewish deprecation, Brando. It's, it's, it's that mixed in with my actual chemical imbalance. It's all of it. It's all of it. So yeah, Doug and I, uh, since late last year, and we've caught up more recently. I think we both needed to be like, we both had a lot of stuff going on and we're, cause we're doing our work life balance now work life book balance. Uh, we've recorded a, a bunch of zoom conversations and I'm transcribing them and, and we're, it's taken shape and, you know, what I find the most fascinating about this book is not going to be the, just the Guns N' Roses stuff, but what we don't know about Doug and how much his childhood prepared him for the life that he would lead. It's like, you know, I, I, I'm not a religious person, but it's like kind of like there was you were put through certain terrible situations for a reason. And it's the parallels between childhood and Guns N' Roses. Sometimes I'm like, wow. And they're also you and uh, your history of fighting, I will say. Uh, there's some, I don't know. I don't know. Let's just say if it ever becomes a, a movie, we got to get Jason Statham to play you. I'll just say that. So You said that. You said that. I know. Uh, uh, so I, people, are, of course, are like, when is it going to come out? I mean, we're still in the very, very early stages of it. When we're, when we're done, yeah. Actually use that, actually use that with Chinese and <laughs> Soon is the word, but the difference is we'll always keep you updated, you know. And, yeah, we're going to do what I do on the podcast. You ask me a question and I give you credit on the, on the podcast. Wouldn't that be awesome in a book to see yeah. that? And you're going to help us write it? You're going to be a, a part neither of it? Brando or I, yeah, neither Brando or I have ever seen that, right? Um, when I first brought it up to Brando, he was like, wow, okay, well, that's an interesting twist, yeah. I mean, but might as well. I mean, guys, let's let's find out exactly some of the questions that you want to answer. Obviously, some of them, if they contain really highly sensitive material, I'm probably not going to be addressing that. Right. But, you know, but if there is inconsistencies that you see uh, reading one book versus the other, blah, 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 please just ask away. I mean, the, the one uh, one thing that I can say is I was the only I, I, I'm the only sober person um, throughout the user illusion tour and appetite tour um, to be writing a book or have put out a book. <laughs> so my recollections are going to be a little more accurate. So in that being said, let me say this and, and Doug and I have spoke about this off the air. Cause that's why I'm like, how do I not, you know, believe Doug, you know, we, we've spoken so many hours, I, you know, and when I talked to Alan Niven and I know they have friction and not, obviously Alan's going to be uh, spoke, to- spoken about in the book, but it's like, Alan, I, I love Alan, you know, uh, I, I love, I know Slash and, and, and other people weren't very you know, favorable into you in your book. Slash, I'm just telling Doug's story. Please don't hate me. <laughs> That's all I'm doing. No one hate me. I'm just telling Doug's story. <laughs> don't shoot the messenger, baby. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Don't shoot the messenger. Thank you. That should be, that should be the byline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Doug, there you go. We'll, we'll you know, maybe we'll, we'll see when people start. I'll put out the episode. And just when, when we start hearing back when this happens. So that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. Thank you. 
Thank you so much again to Ace uh, Piva of yeah. Over the Bridge. You know, we'll have him back. You know, he's doing just phenomenal, oh, phenomenal work. You guys, overthebridge.org. Reach out if you or anybody that you know is in need. Absolutely. And, and Doug, thank you. We're going to be talking a lot, <laughs> not just on the podcast. And again, of course, thank you to every single one of you who tuned into this Appetite for Distortion, Guns N' Roses themed bar mitzvah party of a, of a podcast, because without you, I wouldn't be in position to write a book with Doug Goldstein. And those are facts. Those are facts. So without you, there is none of this. So uh, who will the next episode, who next guest be? Who will the next episode, uh, what, when will you see it? All that jazz. Well, as we just alluded to, uh, Doug just said what, what uh, Axe said about Chinese. Uh, you'll see it. I don't know. As soon as the word. <laughs> security, I'm going home.